0: Hound podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. How is everybody doing? It has been a pretty interesting week, I have to say, in our world here at the uh, Horse and Hound headquarters, which is actually, of course, our homes these days, working from home since the start of the pandemic. But we've been trying to get some quite complicated administration tied down ahead of the Tokyo Olympics for me and the others in the team who are traveling out to the Games. And it's absolutely crazy that it's less than four weeks until we get on that plane. This week, we'll be speaking to Show Horse producer, Vicki Smith, about how she made the transition from school teacher to her current career in horses. Vicki also shares some
2: special Horse of the Year show memories from her success there with Life of Riley. He was fifth at Hoys, so then the next year we decided to go again and we won and he was champion. And I guess the rest is history. Yeah, he, he definitely is the one that, you know, he's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> I'll be chatting to
1: our news team about more nominated entries for Tokyo, how shows are impacted by the delays in the final stage of lockdown easing, and a new scheme to bring the under 12s into riding. We'll also hear from trainer Jason Webb about how to teach your horse to stand quietly on the lorry.
3: Now, this skill doesn't start by just loading your horse up and taking them to an event and hoping for the best. It starts at home.
1: So that's enough of me. Up that last plat and let's get going.
4: Hello, welcome to Horse and Hound's guest interview. I'm Alex Robinson, showing editor here at Horse and Hound. Showing is well underway now, and with the last of the Royal International qualifiers having finished ahead of the big final next month. The Horse of the Year show qualifiers have, have started to gain quite a lot of momentum and and one producer who certainly made an impact during the first part of the season winning quite a few tickets to the Royal International and she's already got three animals on the Hoy's bus I believe uh, yet yeah, a Horse of the Year show. That's Vicky Smith who's joining us today. Hi Vicky how are you? Hello
2: thank you for having me. I'm good thank you
4: brilliant. So Vicky's a horse producer. She's based in Cheshire. She's won Horse of the Year show on several occasions. Uh, The first time being in 2016 when she won the Coloured Championship riding the Sankey family's Coloured Gelding, Life of Riley. And she most recently won at Hoy's in 2019 when she won and took Reserve Champion with her own platted horse, Bart. Uh, And she's currently one of the sport's leading names. And already in 2021, she's racked up a pretty impressive tally. So Vicky, just quickly, and um, you've got a lorry full I can imagine going to Hickstead in a month and you've already got three rides through to Hoys, as I said it must be great to get off to such a great start
2: yeah it is I actually think last count we might need to take two lorries so really? we've exceeded all expectations <laughs> yeah re- really really pleased we've had most of the horses have been with me through last season, through tricky time of COVID and an mm-hmm. injury. So, they, you know, it's great to have those horses uh, qualified and on board and also a few new, new arrivals too. So exciting times. Definitely. So Vicky, while you're
4: undoubtedly one of the best in the business now, you weren't always planning on a, a career in horses, were you? You were actually a PE teacher for, for a long time. Um, so when was it that you decided to start showing professionally?
2: I was a teacher for 12 years and, and I did love my job um, and I think what happened was I was I was really lucky I had some supportive owners such as the Sankey family and it started off that I would meet up with uh, those rides at shows um, mm-hmm. and we managed to do very well like that and then as things progressed um, and myself and Alan bought Bridge Farm so we had four of our own horses here and now we've gone up to having 14 horses here so I suppose it it was a gradual transition. In 2017 Sally Igulden approached me to see if I would produce her hunter. We also had a couple of our own horses then a couple more owners came on board. Um, so I think the last year I went to Hoy's as a school teacher. I had seven horses at Hoys and then wow. went back to school on the Monday morning. <laughs> and it was at that point I thought I'm not really sure that I can carry on doing this. So maybe I should give it a try. Um a lot of professionals actually were really supportive that I I spoke to and I was lucky that school were really supportive and they said, you know, they gave me a sabbatical which was a year out of teaching um and they said you know at the end of the year the year I could make my decision whether I went back to teaching or I carried on with the horses they also said there would always be some supply teaching with me where I could just go in one day a week two days a week um so I suppose because I had the support from school it was I felt it was less of a risk I just thought well if things don't work out for a year then you know I I can just go back to being a teacher Mm. again and And here we are (laughs) (laughs) yeah it really has
4: been quite a journey for you and your partner alan who you mentioned there um so your first win at hoy's was with the wonderful life of riley the
2: colored horse so can you tell me a little bit about him he was owned by the sankey family and i was at a show one day and hayley was riding him and i think she asked me for a bit of advice with him really i was there riding a horse for somebody else and uh, she Hayley asked me for a bit of advice and then she rang me after the show and said, oh, I don't suppose you'd fancy riding him. So the first year I rode in for them, I met up at shows. We had some lovely, uh, lovely sort of times and wins with him. And he was fifth at Hoy's. So then the next year we decided to go again. And it was really nice because he qualified as a heavyweight cob and as a Coloured. And I convinced Haley she should ride him in the cob class, which she did. And I helped her, you know, I was groomed that day and gave her a bit of support and then on the colored day, the sort of roles reversed and Haley helped me and, and we won and he was champion. And oh, I guess the rest is history. Yeah, he, he definitely is the one that, you know, he's got a lot to answer for. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, brilliant. And, and just kind of going back to this transition from classroom to, to yard, really. You mentioned about the struggle kind of juggling, juggling many rides and your full-time job. Were there any other kind of challenges you faced early on during the start of your showing career?
2: Um, no, I would say that the, the showing was great because I had, uh, you know, I had very supportive owners who, who were, you know, willing me to give it a go and a very supportive partner. Um, you know, my mum who has been, um, with me from day one, from, you know, leading me to the local show on her bike to mm-hmm. now grooming every single show that we go to and, feeding everyone and I think because I had such supportive people around me it wasn't too challenging I, I, I've been privileged I've always managed to keep all my stables full I try to not take too many horses that are the same type and I try not to have too many owners and all my owners are like a big family really we all get on really well so I suppose I've been lucky that it's, it's been pretty plain, plain sailing I suppose in terms of setting up a business Alan obviously has a, a big he's CEO of a big company in China so he sat me down and made me write a business plan (laughs) and work out costings and that sort of thing so I had to you know because it was all done properly from the start it's it's been pretty easy and I'm very lucky that you know I've got the support of Alan and my mum but also we have really good staff and without them I don't think kind of I'd have you know had it so easy if you like Mm -hmm. and um when
4: you decided to go full-time can you kind of pinpoint your first big win as, as kind of a full-time professional I guess? That would
2: be hard
4: to think. Um,
2: I gave up teaching in the in the Christmas of 2018 so that was quite good because then I was you know I had time to prepare for the season yeah. and I think we t- we went to North of England which was our first show and I took but, and he was champion and qualified for the Royal International and I took Link Cobbsby and he won and qualified for the Royal International they were our own horses and that sort of really egged me on that we came out the first season as a you know as a professional and I had those two wins and two tickets in the bag mm. and then we sort of gained momentum from then and and then we went to Hoy's and those two horses won so that sort of confirmed to me that that was the direction I thought oh maybe I am good enough to keep going with this so yeah I never went back to school <laughs> and and do you think you'll ever go back to the classroom no (laughs) no I think my days of teenagers and um, you know getting up at five in the morning and riding horses and then teaching at school and then coming (laughs) home and riding horses are are done and you know never say never but no I I do quite enjoy teaching you know from the riding side of things I enjoy teaching clinics and Mm. so I suppose I'm still getting a kind of teaching fix I do enjoy helping people but At the moment, I can't see myself ever back in a classroom. (laughs) Um,
4: And would you give any advice for someone, you know, someone might have a full-time job and they were maybe considering giving that up to to show full-time, what would you say to them and would you advise against it or? Um,
2: No, I wouldn't. I think, you know, you, you only live once, don't you? You've got to do what makes you happy and you do have to give things a go. And I think the fact I put a time scale on it, was was good because i had some stability and the other thing with being a teacher is i've got that qualification so it's i you know once you're a teacher i'm always a teacher and if Mm -hmm. i ever needed to go back to teaching you know it's there i think if if you're in another industry it might not be quite so so easy Mm -hmm. um the other thing i did as well was i i for the last uh, couple of months of teaching i went down to four days And that gave me a bit more of an insight and then you know when i went down to four days i was sort of like really enjoying that extra one day off so um yeah i think you know you've, you've got to go for it and and the other professionals have been so helpful in terms of you know talking to them about what to charge and you know what to do in certain scenarios and i think you know that i know a lot of people think that you know sometimes the show in industry can be a difficult place but The professionals that have helped me over the years, you know, have have really helped me get going. And I just think if if somebody wants to give it a go, then you should definitely go for it.
4: And how did you kind of go about cementing yourself in those, um, you know, group of professionals? Because it's such a a high level, isn't it? You know, to compete at.
2: It is. Um, I think I'm lucky because I, in my early days, I was very lucky that I used to ride um, a lot of ponies for Matthew Lawrence and Mark Northern and Matthew and Mark you know they always encourage me when I was teaching I get some lovely rides you know if classes clashed or if they had extra rides or if Matthew was away judging I got I get I got so much experience from Mm. from being with them and they encouraged me to go onto the judging panels and I suppose by the time I became a professional I'd been around the shows for so many years and I'd had some good results I I knew a Mm. lot of the professionals and they just encourage me and I think I'm kind of part of the gang now, which is quite nice.
4: <laughs> lovely.
2: And and looking ahead to twenty twenty one,
4: Vicky, you've obviously already had some incredible wins. But do you have anyone on the team you're particularly excited about?
2: Oh, that's the tough one. <laughs> I've got I've got some lovely horses. Obviously Bart and Bling, Cobbsby are, you know, they, they they're just so cool. They've been here from the start with me and we don't show them massively now we just aim them for the big show so it's quite exciting that they've got Windsor and the royal international coming up um i've got a lovely large hat called homestones tailor made who he was champion at hoys in 2019 with the jink show team with charlotte gruby riding for vicky rudd and then he's he's now owned by a lovely new client of mine called janet Neals. Um, so it's great to have, have a large hack, but you know, have a, have a horse that's already won Mm. all that is, is so lovely. And I feel sort of quite honored that he's part of our, our team. And then we've also got a lovely novice cob of our own called Tober Patrick Boss, who, um, Alan bought earlier this year and he's really exceeded our expectations. We thought he may be just doing novice year and he's won two Royal international championships and a novice class. Um, so we'll probably, you know, aim him somewhere like the great Yorkshire. He's, he's quite exciting. It's nice to have a a young one that comes out and exceeds expectations. But yeah, I can't choose between them because, you know, (laughs) every week when we're loading the lorry, it, it doesn't matter who's going, it's just exciting. You know, we sort of take four one week, then four the next week. And they're all as exciting as each other, really. Oh, brilliant. So thank you so much for joining us, Vicky. And just before we go,
4: where can people expect to see you next?
2: we have got a busy uh summer coming up um we're lucky that we've sort of got 10 horses on the road and they only do a few shows each month so we tend to take we tend to attend most shows with some of the horses Mm -hmm. um so we'll do you know after those county shows then it'll soon be royal windsor and then great yorkshire and and it goes on and on
4: brilliant a very busy year for you
2: very busy yeah so thank you so much cheers vicky Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. Bye.
1: So I'm joined today by three of my horse and hound colleagues for our chat about the week's news. First of all, we have our dressage editor, Polly Bryan. Hi, Polly. How are things going with you? Hi,
5: Pippa. Yes, good, my end. Thank you. I can't believe how quickly Tokyo Olympics are actually approaching now. They're getting no, very, very close. Absolutely. I was actually said that earlier in the podcast
1: in the introduction, it is unbelievable that we're going to be on that plane so soon. And, uh, mm. and, and the news of teams coming in so fast, it feels like we're getting one announced every couple of hours at the moment, which is so exciting. We also have with us today our news editor, Eleanor Jones. How
6: are things with you, Eleanor? Yeah, it's all good. Thank you. Except we seem to be in January again. Um, not sure what's going on there. But actually, it's nicer going to shows and riding when it's a bit cooler than you know, eighty-five degrees that we had the other week. Um, although I had to went to a show on Sunday, had a massive lack of breaks and may or may not have had to apologise to the photographer for some of the language. <laughs> oh dear.
1: <laughs>
6: <laughs>
1: so, are we looking at more training, bitting change? What's What's the story there? I think there?
6: just a lot more jumping. She's just very, very excited still. Um, to be jumping loves the job and that just means she wants to go 110 miles an hour
1: (laughs) well at least she's enjoying herself (laughs) exactly (laughs) and finally we have with us our
0: senior news writer Lucy Elder how are you Lucy I'm very well thank you Pippa I'm back after a week off I've been watching uh, Royal Ascot all week and following following all the action
1: from there Great. Well, I ended up having quite a lot of time to watch sport over the weekend as well. I was meant to go eventing on Saturday, but uh, went to put the saddle on Alfie on Wednesday and he had a big fat leg. So no eventing on the weekend. He's been having some, some box rest to see the vet and uh, we're hoping it's, it's nothing too serious, but hoping to get a bit more information this week, he is improving. But the upside of that was I did have a lot of time to watch the five star in Germany at Le Moulin, the Longines sponsored event there. And it was just so fantastic to see Molly Summerland, British rider, just 23 years old, winning that five star. It was a small field after all the travel problems that we've talked about on the podcast, but you can't take it away from her. She uh, sort of led from pillar to post and jumped to clear, show jumping round under pressure to win. Did you have a chance to see any of that, Lucy?
0: I did, yes. And I thought, as you said, it was brilliant. And what a... What a result for her. What a journey as well. Um, we've covered that in the magazine, the travel ban, complying with that, just to get there. And I spoke to her for news just before she went on to Le Moulin and she was saying then how, how valuable it had been actually spending that time out in the Netherlands before a big competition, which she hadn't had a real chance to do before, but is something that happens at championships. And learning how to... How to pace yourself how to do the best things for your horse and how to get in the right mindset and so for her then to go and and win i think i mean i was crying i think probably everyone else is crying as well i think it's what a wonderful end to that fantastic story that we've been following as well
1: yeah definitely i described it as a wild emotional ride in my magazine report and i think it I think it really was so well done to molly and everyone who helped her make it out there to Lemoulin so we are going to kick off our our news proper this week by talking about the last of the british nominated entries for the tokyo olympics in both dressage and para dressage obviously for the paralympics not the olympics with the para list but we will start with the dressage polly can you give us a rundown of the list of the nine nominated entries
5: I certainly can, Pipper. So on that list we have, in alphabetical order, Fiona Bigwood with Horton's Delicato, Richard Davison with Bubbling, Charlotte Jordan with Mount St John Freestyle, Emil Forey with Dono DiMaggio, Charlotte A.K.A. Lottie Fry with Everdale, Carl Hester and En Vogue, Gareth Hughes with Santano Van Hoff Olympia, Susan Pape with Harmonies Eclectisch and Laura Tomlinson with DSP Rose of Bavaria. We also have three nominated reserve entries. Uh, Two of these are direct reserves um, and they are Charlotte Dujardin and Gio and Lottie Fry with Dark Legend. And also Gareth Hughes is um, nominated as a non-direct reserve with KK Dominant.
1: Okay, and that's the full list. Come on then, Polly, give us your insight. We're getting the team is going to be announced next Monday, but until then, we're relying on your expertise. Who do you expect (laughs)
5: to see selected? Oh, in in a sense, that's a difficult question because I think all of those combinations would do a fabulous job on the Tokyo team and all of them, you know, would would deserve a chance um, to get on that team and, and go out to Japan. But in another sense, it's not perhaps as difficult for me to predict as in some previous years i'm probably going to be proved wrong completely here uh but if i had to put money on it i would i put my money on charlotte with freestyle carl with en vogue and Lottie fry with everdale they would be my top pick for the three um when it comes to picking who might be the traveling reserve Oh, that's a much more difficult question. Laura Tomlin said had a really fabulous, if last minute trip to Germany to compete at the weekend with uh, Rose of Bavaria, who's known as Betty at home. She had had a a delayed start to her season because Betty had a reaction to an EHV vaccine and their first trip out wasn't quite up to their usual form. I think Laura was riding, um, understandably, slightly tentatively, but they absolutely smashed it at the weekend. They scored in the mid 70s um, in both the Grand Prix and the special and finished second uh, behind Denmark's Catherine Dufour in the special with a fabulous score over 75%. So I, I think my money would be on them actually for number four. Wow, that would be
1: exciting to see Laura back on a team. Mm. And Lucy, you obviously follow dressage pretty closely as well, and do a good bit of reporting. Are you going to challenge Polly's opinions? <laughs> oh, <Come> on,
0: Lucy. <laughs> I, as Polly said, I think I agree completely with Polly, what Polly said. But as I as she said, the um, picking the fourth is going to be really Mm. really really hard as any of those combinations we've seen them all come out on wow us and so how how do you choose i think looking at that list what's interesting on that for me is the mix there of experience and of new horses and new faces coming through Uh, obviously charlotte charlotte de is our defending champion But, you know, this year she's got two new horses on that list, which is really exciting in terms of the strength of British dressage. Mount St. John Freestyle, obviously this isn't her first championship, but it would be her first Olympics. Oh, what else did I think reading that list? Fiona Bigwood, I think that's an interesting new combination as well. We've seen Horton Mm. Delicato, obviously part of that that bronze medal winning team out in the 2018 World Equestrian Games. Um, But if I was going to plump for... Who might be that fourth combination? I think I, I'm going to go with Polly, Laura Tomlinson. Can I do that? Can we both have the same pick? Oh, go on then. You can both have the same pick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but just to be different, I am going to say Gareth Hughes, who did very well at the Europeans in 2019 with classic Bria Linka. He actually had to withdraw that mare from Tokyo contention with an injury earlier this year. But it's great to see him on the list now with van Hoff Olympia, which is also a fabulous name. Right, it's on to the Paralympics now. Lucy, you are going to be our reporter at the Paralympics, so you can give us the rundown. Give us the list of our nominated entries.
0: Okay, so we've got Sophie Christensen, and she has DeFirstin and Innuendo on the list. We've got Sully Pearson with Breezer, Georgia Wilson with Midnight and also Sakura, Natasha Baker and Keystone Dawn Chorus, Erin Orford and LJT Diamond Crusader. Nikki Greenhill and Betty Boo. And we've got Charlotte Kundal with LJT Simply Red and Sophie Wells with three horses on the list. She's got Sea Fatal Attraction, Don Cara M and classic Jules Gusenhoff.
1: Okay, great. And those riders for the Paralympics are split across five different grades. Um, Just to clarify for those who don't know, this is something I actually I don't know the answer to. What's the situation in terms of do we have to have a rider in each grade? Could we have two in one grade and none in another? How does the selection actually work?
5: Unfortunately, they actually can't have a rider from every grade because only four riders will be selected and there's five grades but you can have more than one rider from a grade, but not more than two of those riders. And they also need to select a rider from uh, either grades one, two, or three. So they wouldn't be able to, for example, send two riders from grade four and two riders from grade five. Uh, You do have to have at least one rider from one of those lower grades.
1: Okay, so good to have that clarified. Okay, so predictions. Lucy, you go first this time. Who are you betting ah. on to make the para team?
0: Oh, goodness me. This is really hard again because we know we've got such a strong such a strong history at the Paralympics. We're unbeaten uh, so far. So this is really hard, but if you're putting me under pressure, I am going to predict Sophie Wells with Sea Fatal Attraction, Natasha Baker with Keystone Dawn Chorus, I'd say Sophie Christensen with D Firston and then Sally Pearson with Breezer. But then George Wilson was so good at the Europeans. So oh it's really hard, isn't it? But yeah, if you're gonna put me under pressure, those would be my ones. Polly, what do you think?
5: Yeah, no, I, I do pretty much agree. Um I think Sophie Wells will definitely be on that team. She's so, so experienced. She's been every uh, every team at a British para championship since 2011. Um, I think they'll send her experience to see Fatal Attraction. I think we'll see Natasha Baker. She's had some incredible results uh, with Keystone Dawn Chorus, uh, known as Lottie. And then I think it gets a little trickier. I would, I'd very much like to see Sophie Christensen back on a Paralympic team. I think she would potentially be more likely to be selected with India. Nuendo, He's uh, a little older, a little more experienced. And I do think it will come down to Lee or Georgia for that fourth place. I'd love to see Lee back on a Paralympic team. I really, really would. Like you said, Georgia had such a fabulous result with that gold medal at 2019 Europeans with Midnight. That's a really tough one. I'm going to say Georgia. Okay. Well,
1: thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Polly, for uh, putting your necks on the line and giving us some <laughs> predictions there.
5: Oh, Yes, Polly, got something else. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to mention as well that um, there are a couple of combinations that uh, we might have expected to see on that nominated list for the dressage, who are not on that list, very sadly. We've got Sona Murray-Brown, who very sadly had to withdraw his lovely horse Towns from Olympic contention as they are cheating a mine injury. Um, and also Spencer Wilton, Rio silver medalist with Supernova, who uh, sadly has been dealing with a flare up of his back injury and wasn't able to get to Wellington CDI in May. He was aiming to compete out in France, and of course the travel restrictions came in, so he sadly has not had a chance to get out internationally since before the pandemic. Gosh, okay. Yep. Sad
1: to see those two missing. um, But we will look forward to all those teams being announced in the not too distant future. And moving on to a couple of other stories this week. Eleanor, you've been looking at whether the delay in easing the final stage of lockdown, the so-called Freedom Day, will impact on spectators returning to equestrian events. What have you found out?
6: Yeah so of course and I think sort of for, for a lot of us who are going to shows and competing ourselves it almost seems you know we're very very nearly back to what normal was or what we can remember of that but of course on uh, 20th of 21st of June there was it was supposed to be that most of the remaining restrictions um, would be lifted and then of course Boris Johnson has delayed that. but um, we've spoken to some major events that were planning so for example Royal Windsor and bolesworth both should have run in May and June respectively but moved back to uh, after that 21st of June date. Um, but they are still going to be able to run uh, within the rules and they are still going to still be able to have spectators.
1: Okay, and are there particular sort of limits and precautions around those spectators at those shows?
6: Yeah, so that the capacity limit is four thousand people. So, and and we did speak to um, shows earlier in the year, and they had said even then, you know. Uh, being alert to the possibility that something like this might happen they'd said look we're going to sell up to that many tickets and then hope to release more after the 21st of June or after the confirmation had come Um, and of course that hasn't happened but they are still going to be able to run on those 4,000 people.
1: Okay good well at least they can get some spectators back in and what about racing what's the news there?
6: Um, Racing, of course, uh, the British Horse Racing Authority has said that, of course, while they understand why the the delay has been brought in, they're disappointed by it. And they're just saying it's such a a huge financial blow to a £4 billion industry. And even if the delay is only the four weeks that has been announced, there's, there's still going to be major events like the eclipse at Sandown and the July Festival at Newmarket. And they're saying that this just isn't sustainable. And they're going to look at whether they look for more support from the government.
1: Okay, well, thank you for that one. And on another topic this week, you've been writing also, Eleanor, about the new Pony Stars scheme. What's this all about?
6: Yeah, so this is really interesting. Um, I did a story at the very end of last year or the beginning of this year in in the magazine that was talking about how there was a possibility that the post-COVID world could be or could provide an opportunity for the equestrian industry to get more people in. So with things like maybe people can't go abroad or finding it a lot harder to go abroad, they might have holidays here or they might be looking at other ways to use their leisure time um, and uh, and maybe riding could benefit from that. And I, I did speak to the British Horse Society at the time and they said, oh, well, we've got uh, a plan coming later in the year and this is it. And uh, they had been planning it for years anyway, and it it seems that it's hopefully quite good timing that it's been, it's not being fully rolled out now, it's going to be rolled out properly in September. But at the moment they're they're sort of doing pilots and it's called Pony Stars. And the aim is, and there are loads of different categories like the Shetland Striders, and it's about bringing um, children into the industry and hopefully keeping them here.
1: And it aims to engage youngsters in outdoor activities beyond riding too, is that right?
6: Yeah, and this is what I think is really brilliant about it. So the kids will get sort of activity logs and they can, you know, um, log their achievements. And But it isn't, although there is riding and horse care and stable management and all those sorts of things, there's also like being green and uh, to do with the environment, building bug houses, wildlife, and there's all these sorts of things to give children a sort of like the outdoorness of it all as well and celebrating all the things that we know uh, are brilliant about riding the time outdoors, the fresh air, the mental health benefits and also it should hopefully then uh, be good for parents because the children can spend more time doing and being part of the whole equestrian community but not having to pay for that many hours riding lessons, if that makes sense. So it should hopefully be affordable, uh, more affordable. And then the children are really part of the community and hopefully stay in it.
1: Brilliant, sounds good. Thank you, Eleanor. And thank you to Polly and Lucy for joining us today too. So now we're going over to Jason Webb, a trainer who specializes in starting young horses and retraining those with problems. Born in Australia, Jason is now based in Kent and his online training service at yourhorsemanship.com means owners around the world can learn and benefit from his techniques. Over to you, Jason.
3: In this episode, we're going to look at standing politely on the lorry. Now this is something that is critical, particularly if you're taking horses out to an event where they're required to stay on the lorry and wait until your turn comes now this skill doesn't start by just loading your horse up and taking them to an event and hoping for the best it starts at home with some basic groundwork skills now the first thing that i look to do is i watch your horse when they're tied up and in the stable so how do they behave when they're tied up, do they stand calmly? Are they quite comfortable in their stable? Now this is important to note because a stable is a confined environment like it is on a box, and tied up is what they will be on the box. So it's a combination of those two things. It is in their comfort zone. So to test those areas, I might see how they are when they're standing there alone and then check to see how they are in company. And then I might move horses around them and see how they behave. So this sort of awareness is really important if you've never taken your horse off in the lorry and are expecting them to stand, because this will give you a bit of a clue as to how they might behave. So if you're starting to notice some anxiety, your horse is fractious when usually it'll happen when a horse is taken away from them, Then this will be something that could be exacerbated when you're asking your horse to stand quietly on the lorry. So I use a couple of exercises. Um, One of them is called standing on the tie. So I teach my horse to, to stand in a particular spot when they're tied up. So to do this exercise, I need to teach my horse to move sideways while they're standing tied up from the left around and back to the right. Once my horse can do this comfortably, then I can start to position my horse. Now, if you've never tried to move your horse from the left to the right, I tend to use a whip, so I use a long whip as well, so I cut the end off a dressage whip, so I've just got a long sort of pole that I can just tap the hip and move them across in both directions. Now the reason i use a long pole is i'm doing this from behind the horse and some horses may object to being told to move over and might even kick out towards you this is not unusual but it's a precaution that you should always take so move your horse over a step or two in the beginning just to teach them this and once they're doing it push them over and pause. This pause should tell your horse that they're standing where you'd like. Once you've given your horse a chance to to sink into the ground, and you'll notice them do this by their their demeanor. You'll see them sort of take a breath, they'll stop fidgeting, and they'll just slowly sink into the ground and soften. Once they've done this, then I move around my horse and check that where I've allowed them to stand, they stay standing. If I move behind my horse and they move again, I simply use that sideways movement that I've taught my horse to put them back roughly in the same position. And I will repeat this until my horse allows me to walk around me and stays where I've asked them to stand. This is a great skill for, for a lot of reasons. you know. Tacking your horse up, grooming, but it does lead on to teaching your horse to stand quietly. Uh, Another skill is if you've got your horse in a stable and they're, they're getting fractious when you take a horse away from them, then what they're actually saying to you is, I would really like to go with that horse and I would prefer to be there than be here in the stable. So in this situation, when I have a horse behaving like this, I might pop the head collar on the horse, open the door and allow my horse to make the decision to go off following that horse that's gone or come out of the stable. Now, when the horse makes this decision, I simply give my horse a bit of a bump with the head collar or a, or a pull and put them back in the, in the stable and allow them to stand. Now the horse has another decision to make. Do I go out the door and follow that, that instinct, that drive to follow the other horse, or do I stay put? And if I repeat this process of allowing my horse to stand in the stable and then correcting my horse when they go out, sometimes I would go as far to move my horse around in circles and put them, make them move their feet a little bit more outside the stable before I put them back in and allow them to rest in the stable. But in essence, a horse is learning from their mistakes. Now, we've got these two skills, which for me are really important in creating a horse that stands nicely on the box. So we can take these skills to the box now. So presumably your horse loads well. So the first thing I would do is use the skill that we talked about in the stable, and I would load my horse up onto the box, allow them to stand, or leave, if they so choose. If the horse decides to leave, the horse is telling you, I would prefer to be off the box than on it. So allow them to come off the box, make it a little difficult there, or just turn them around. Simply turning them around sometimes is enough for some horses and popping them back on and that repetition, but allowing them to stand on the box once they're on there and just relax. Give them a hay net, something that sort of takes their mind off it. And make sure that there you see that change of mindset that, oh, I'm going to leave the horse box. Actually, I think I prefer to stay. Once your horse is thinking, I prefer to stay up on this horse box, then you're well on your way to creating a horse that's going to be able to stand quietly. So you've gone to a new environment and you've done all your homework, but your horse has still got a little bit fractious. And you're worried about your horse sort of climbing out of the horse box or harming themselves because they're getting so anxious, Well, you can use both these tools to help in this situation as well. And you're being proactive, which is the main thing, so you go through that process of teaching your horse. I know you want to get off, but actually the best place to to be is on the box, and you know this from this exercise. Or you might just give them a bit of a chance to come off the box and cool off, stand on the side of the horse box and show them that it's, you know, that you can show them a good place to stand while they're tied to the horse box, which you will have done before, and then use the process of putting them on and off the box. The combination of these two skills will help you to teach your horse that standing on the horse box is the best possible place to be. Now, this process isn't going to happen straight away, I have to emphasize that point, it will take some time and using another horse on the horse box that is comfortable to stand is always a great tool to have, and using yourself as that comfort for for your horse, so your horse will know that when you ask them to stand still or if you place them on the horse box, if you're around it may be you that gives them comfort and makes them secure that they're okay there so it might be that you're gonna have to hang out at the horse box for a little while until it becomes a normal process so there's a couple of tools that i use to help teach your horse to stand quietly on a horse box and hopefully you've understood it well enough that you guys can take it away and use it yourselves good luck Thank you, Jason.
1: Next week, Jason will be back with us to talk about introducing your horse to traffic and helping horses who are shy of cars. We'll be talking to British para dressage rider, Sophie Wells, who's won more than 30 medals and competed on an able-bodied young rider team as well as her many para successes. And we'll also have the week's news as normal, which, massive excitement, will include the selected British teams for Tokyo, which are being announced next Monday. Thank you for joining us this time and we look forward to more podcast fun next week. Goodbye. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.